Burr, it sure is cold out there this time of year, and with record cold seasons upon us, it is no fun. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true horror stories from snowstorms and snowy weather. If you have a story from this time and you would like to share it as well, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or on reddit at r slash thedarkswamp. I'd love to see your story and share it with everyone here in the swamp. Don't forget to slap that like button, subscribe if you're new, and get ready for these creepy and allegedly true snowstorm horror stories that'll keep you up tonight. The Wolf and the Snowstorm by Sam Hi Swamp Dweller, I've been listening to you for almost two years now, and I've been contemplating sharing some of my stories and my experiences. My sister told me I needed to share some of them as some sort of therapeutic thing, so I will share one of them for you now. If you'd like more from me, just let me know. For some context, I am from Maine. This takes place in the year of 2008 in Jay, Maine. During December, my sister was six and I was eight. We were looking for our cat around our house whose name was Panda, because he was more like a panda than a cat to be honest, but we couldn't find him anywhere in the house. We thought he got outside again. It was snowing outside very badly. We went to see if we could find him. Last time he got out, he ran into the woods behind our house, which was honestly not fun, but he knew them pretty well. We had been walking for about 20 minutes outside, or at least what felt like 20 minutes. As the weather picked up, the snow turned into a blizzard quickly and we couldn't see where we were going anymore. My sister started to get scared and started crying. I told her we would be okay and we'll make it back. Everything will be okay. We turned back toward the direction we thought was the house, but after some time, we still had not found our way home, and I knew we were hopelessly lost. I was thinking of a way to get out of this storm and return to our mom. Then suddenly, the blizzard around us stopped blowing where we were standing about 10 feet around us, and then I saw something strange. I have not heard or found anything about it anywhere online, anytime I looked this up. Slowly. A wolf walks out of the blizzard around us. It was about three feet taller than I was, and I was standing at around roughly five feet at this time. It was pure white. Its eyes were a beautiful full blue. I then heard a gentle, feminine voice in my head say, What of my blood? Why are you out here? I said we were looking for a cat. As a kid, I, I didn't really know any better or what was going on. I had no idea what telepathy was, but this thing once more said, Come with me, little ones. Come on my back, I'll take you home, you are not safe here. She crouched down, we climbed on her back, and then started running the opposite way we were also going. The blizzard seemed to not be blowing at us as it stopped, but I could still see it raging all around us. After some time, we see our house. She slowed down when we came to the edge of the woods. We stopped and crouched down. She then said, Go home, little ones, you must go. My sister and I ran to the door. Once we touched the door, the storm came back, hitting us in full force. I looked back, and the wolf was mysteriously gone. We ran inside, and my mom ran up to us, wondering where we had been. She said we had been gone for four hours. She wasn't alone. There were three cops in the house. We told her what happened and why we were outside. She didn't believe us. She wrapped us up in warm blankets and sat us next to our fireplace. If anybody has any idea what that wolf was, I'd love to know because I can never find anything on it. Thanks for listening.
Predatory Cop in a Snowstorm by Mike for Hire. When I was in high school, I discovered a stolen car which I then reported to the police, and it could have led to something so much worse. Every day I got home from school, I would head upstairs and use the bathroom since my room was also up there. Being on the second floor, I never had a shade or curtain on this bathroom window. It was a routine I would only do without giving it much thought. I would go up, do my business, and glance out the window. From the window, I could see the backyard and over our fence to a parking lot of some nearby apartments. One day, when I glanced out the window, I noticed a car sitting at the far end of the parking lot with the driver's side window down. This was odd to me as it had just snowed heavily the night before and the snow covered the car entirely except for that one open window. I laughed thinking maybe it was just an older car and the window was broken or did not work or someone who had parked there might have been drunk and forgotten to roll it up. Many thoughts went through my mind about all the possible reasons it would be wide open like that during the winter. I eventually put it out of my mind. After several days go by I noticed the car had not moved, the window was still open and I just sensed something was off. I thought the car had been stolen and dumped there or something along those lines. Deciding to be a good Samaritan, I wrote down the make, model, license plate number, and all that good stuff, and I brought it to my high school police liaison officer. The office of the liaison officer was nothing more than a custodian's closet with a windowed door, just like most other high schools, I'd assume. The window had been covered in black construction paper for the privacy of the students or staff that needed to discuss matters with said officer. When I brought the information about the car to him, I remember having to wait as he was in some meeting with a student at the time and did not answer my knock. Eventually, I had to go to class, so I handed the information to a friend who said they could get to the officer later. Later that day, I was called to the foyer and was met by the liaison officer and a uniformed officer. It turned out the car was reported stolen and the uniformed officer was there so that I could go with him to show him where the car was. I was excused from school and rode with the officer to my neighborhood and showed him the car. After filing out my information and talking to the officer for quite some time, I was brought back to school by the police liaison officer who met up with us later. This is when things could have gone very wrong for me. For some background, I will tell you that I've always had suspicions about this liaison officer. Before I brought the stolen car information in, I had witnessed the school's officer being overly friendly, if you want to call it that, with students, and many liked him and joked around with him. He would say incredibly weird things like, If we went camping, and you woke up with your butt hurting, would you tell anyone? At this and other so-called jokes, students who liked him would laugh it off like he was just one of the guys joking around and having a good time, even if the jokes were uh, inappropriate to say the least. I just felt that there was something off about this guy, but since many students liked him and seemed to vouch for him, I shrugged it off. So, what do you have planned this weekend? He had asked me when driving back to school in a weird tone. I remember being nervous, as I usually am shy, and I gave him a severe but ridiculous answer. I told him I was getting an oil change done in my car. He laughed at this and said I must have had more fun things planned than that, right? I laughed too, but I actually didn't have anything planned that weekend and did not elaborate. He then offered to buy me lunch from a fast food place a block away from my high school. Many high schoolers liked to flock to this area when they were off campus to hang out and have lunch. At the time, I thought it was some reward for finding and reporting the stolen car. He was trying to groom me with food and being friendly that day is what I would later come to discover. Several months after notifying the car, news broke out that the liaison officer had been caught sexually abusing two male students on campus. 
Word had gotten around that he had apparently paid the students to do sexual acts and that there were VHS tapes involved. I had heard that he had tried to hand over the evidence to his brother to destroy, but his brother looked at one of the tapes and immediately turned him over to the authorities. Regardless of the facts, he was found guilty on several counts of sexual abuse and sentenced to prison. My instincts of being suspicious of him were indeed correct and you should always, always follow your gut feeling. Thinking back on the car ride to school with him, I can't help but think what he could have done. What if he did try something and I refused? Would he have threatened to arrest me or something like that to blame the stolen car on me? Would he have forced me to do something at gunpoint? The black construction paper over the window of his office door might have then put up some sort of barrier between him and his criminal acts happening on the other side. In any case, I'm just glad that nothing happened to me. I feel bad for the abuse students and hope that they are doing okay these days. This shows that sometimes you never really know a person and sometimes the people that are supposed to protect you aren't always as they seem. If you're anything like me, Swamp Folk, when you're doing your best to concentrate, whether it be narrating scary stories for the masses, editing new YouTube videos for everybody to enjoy, or just trying to get some writing done, being 100% focused is sometimes a challenge. And getting everything done as quickly and efficiently as you need is sometimes not possible. But I think I found the perfect solution. Since I've started using Magic Mind, it has quickly become my best friend, and as a person with a a lot on their plate on a daily basis, making sure content goes out on a daily basis for you all. Instead of reaching for that extra cup of coffee or trying to hit one of those unhealthy energy drinks, I take this little shot every morning alongside my first cup of coffee and I'm good for the rest of the day. It allows me to drink much less, reducing my need for that additional caffeine addiction so I'm not shaking throughout the day and I'm not staying up late because I have so much sugar in my system. Overall, I feel like I have have less stress and anxiety. A big part of that's because Magic Mind helps me get more done, but it's also because it contains a compound called L-theanine that naturally reduces your body's stress levels. Magic Mind is packed full of great ingredients like matcha, which contains way less caffeine than coffee and also contains additional compounds called catechins that extend the benefits of caffeine by slowing your body's ability to absorb it as well as a compound called L-theanine that reduces stress. It also contains cordyceps mushrooms, which is an adaptogen that reduces inflammation, strengthens your immune system, and supports higher energy levels and physical endurance by ramping up the production of ADP in your mitochondria. Personally, that's my favorite part. I totally stand behind it because it works. It helps me and I know it can help anyone else who struggles with focusing on tasks, feeling like they are lacking energy and just needing something to give them that creative boost. And for a limited time, the Magic Mind team was so kind to create a super offer for me to share with you guys. You can get up to 56% off your first subscription in the next 10 days and 20% off your one-time purchase with code SWAMPED. You can get it at magicmind.co slash swamped. Again, that's magicmind.co slash swamped. And thank you, Magic Mind, for supporting the swamp. Paranormal Events in the Snow by Skunk Hello, Swamp Dweller. I'm a big fan and I've always wanted to submit a story since I found your channel, but I never read anything long-winded or particularly horrifying enough to catch your eye. And to be honest, I'd hope I never would. But unfortunately, here we are, my friend. 
I won't use real names, but most of my closest friends call me Skunk. My girlfriend and I are a same-sex couple living in a village about 30,000 people deep, and this place is cursed on another level. Let me preface this by saying we are both witches who believe in the work of the supernatural, so being this shaken up is entirely new for me. We've had friendships and attempts at polyamorous relationships and seemingly out of nowhere the moment the other party has crossed the village line, and walking out of the town limit feels like seeing the sun for the first time in decades. Some of our supernaturally inclined friends say it's the mines from the locally found Herkimer Diamonds, a type of clear quartz named after the village they're found in. For those who may not know, quartz is especially good at concentrating and expanding energy. Onto the story. This started long before we were even physically together when we were just long distance, but it's taken a turn these past few days. A curse six years in the making. It all started one day when I forgot to refill my insomnia medication. We had just healed a rough patch in our relationship and spent days being our absolute best with each other. We were cleaning the house as usual with me on trash duty and my girlfriend scrubbing away at the dishes. I found the bag I had put our medication in. Hers was there and mine wasn't. It hadn't even been 45 minutes since we left the pharmacy and it was still light out, so we retraced our steps from the front of the store all the way home along the exact route. Nobody in this town cares about litter, so I doubt someone would pick up stuff off the ground even if they did see it. But let's assume that's what happened, that somebody just picked it up or turned it into the police. This is where things take a turn either way. Now, I know our house is haunted, Ever since we moved here from public housing, there are pages upon pages I could write about some minor hauntings we've gone through. I'm sure there are two gentle spirits upstairs, a ghost dog in our kitchen, and a threatening dark energy in the basement. I know, cliche. Neither of us go down there because of it, and this thing is setting its sights on me, I can just feel it. My girlfriend heard a scream outside the night before last while watching the snowfall for the first time this season. She rushed inside, shocked that I didn't hear it. I was about to go onto the back porch to see if there was an animal or some sort of trespasser on the property as there had been before, but I couldn't even physically bring myself to open the door because it was so cold. So instead I looked through the small window above the kitchen sink. Here's where many people would say they saw a shadow, face, eyes, or something, but I saw absolutely nothing. What I felt, on the other hand, was absolutely unreal. I have almost died twice in my lifetime, but the dread and fear I felt at this moment were undoubtedly worse than either of those events combined. I swear in my life that this is not an exaggeration. I've often felt invisible eyes on me from the windows or the shadows of my home, but this was worse than any of those other times. Of course, the entire Tri-County area used to be indigenous lands, and it was finally winter, and there were plenty of woods around, and the snowstorm was raging hard, so energy could definitely be all over the place, and that big W word I'm afraid to type out, aka Wendigo, could definitely be lurking around. But we quickly moved on from this, didn't want to think about it too much or conjure anything. Now, last night, however, was even creepier for me. It was now the third night without my medication and sleep was becoming more and more elusive. As I managed to sneak in maybe an hour or two of sleep, I awoke to my girlfriend snoring three times louder than usual and the heat was at least 15 degrees warmer. I was annoyed so I shook her awake and asked her if she turned up the heat while I was sleeping to which she replied she barely was at all conscious most of the night so I don't think she did. 
At this point it's 5 a.m., and as I'm writing this I have chills all over my body. I'm afraid to look out the window, but wish me luck. Thanks for taking the time to share my story, Swamp Dweller, and I look forward to your next upload. If you live in the northeastern part of the United States, then you know that a huge snowstorm came in this week. Well, I was at my boyfriend's house, and we couldn't find his puppy in his backyard. We kept calling his name, but we couldn't find him, and he wasn't coming to us, like he always does. In fact, we got really scared, and in fear that he somehow got out of the gated backyard, I grabbed my snow boots and ran to the back door that he has in the kitchen. To note, my boyfriend was standing by the back door looking for the dog, and his dad was at the front door talking to a postal delivery driver. We were the only three inside the house. I put on a snow boot, then hopped from one side of the kitchen to the other while putting on the other. As I slipped on the second boot, my foot slipped from under me because my boots were still wet. I landed hard on one knee, and my other leg flew out from in front of me. I then landed on my butt and knew I was going to fall backwards and land on my head. In that moment, I felt someone catch my upper back and shoulders with their hands and then squeeze my shoulders. It kept me from falling backwards and slamming my head against the tile floor. My boyfriend was standing in front of me and has a broken foot, so he would never have made it in time to catch me, so I assumed it was my boyfriend's dad. His dad came back and asked if everything was okay and what had just happened. I didn't think anything of it at the time and laughed off my bruised knee. Later that night, my boyfriend's mom came home from work and I was telling her how her husband saved me from a bad fall. My boyfriend then cut me off and said his dad didn't even come into the kitchen until after I fell and that he didn't know what I was talking about. We even confirmed this with his dad as well and he even stated that he saw me sitting on the floor when he came back to check on the dog. I have no idea what I experienced or what could explain what I experienced. All I know is that I fell hard and that whatever happened saved me from possibly getting really hurt. I can't explain why I felt someone catch me or why they squeezed my shoulders after they caught me. Can anyone else explain this experience or does anyone have a similar one? This story happened to me roughly six years ago. But I think about it frequently because it's the only paranormal thing I witnessed that I'm 100% sure was real. I can't help thinking, maybe someone had a similar experience out there, or somebody listening to the show might have some theories. So, it was the middle of winter, and it was terribly cold. There was a huge snowstorm outside. I went to my kitchen to make myself some tea. It was about 2300 hours. Note that I'm used to going to bed at around 3 to 4 a.m., so I was not sleepy in the slightest. I was approaching the table when my gaze accidentally fell on the street outside. I saw two men in dark clothes walking there along the road. They struck me as unnatural right away because of how they were walking, calmly, slowly, leisurely, talking and gesturing to each other. With how strong the wind was, people just couldn't walk like that. I adjusted the curtain to take a better look. It hid them from my view for less than a second, and when I looked again, they were gone. The road where they were walking is long and surrounded by nothing. They just couldn't have hid anywhere during that split second. I was shocked and downright curious. The next night, I checked again but saw no one. The night after that though, I saw them again. The same men walking in a similar snowstorm, just as slowly and casually, 
I stared at them for a while. Then I moved to the curtain again, just out of curiosity, and the next second, they were gone. I have never seen them again after this, though. I still check the street every now and then, whenever I approach the window. My only guess is, is that I somehow peeked into some other reality, where it wasn't cold and saw some ordinary two men going on their way. But who knows what it really was. I have seen some other strange things in my lifetime, but nothing I can really be sure of. I'm not impressionable, and I try to find an explanation for everything. And this is the only case where I can. Maybe some of you guys listening will have some ideas as to what this may be. I don't know much about paranormal activities, not in death anyway, so maybe such sightings aren't that rare. So this story takes place when I was six years old. I don't remember the incident itself, but I do remember that day, some of what happened, and that trip. My parents have retold the story several times since, so I grew up hearing it and have all the other pieces that I was missing. We were going on a trip to see my grandmother for about two weeks surrounding Christmas. So my mother and my stepdad threw me and my brother in the van and we hit the road. My grandmother was living about nine hours away at the time and the trip is never the safest in the world and worse yet during the winter. Getting to her house involved driving on steep, winding mountain roads with hairpin turns and sheer drops with no guardrail to speak of in an old, beat-down van in the Canadian winter. I feel like my parents were being very optimistic and thinking that the van would even make the trip. It did not. In the middle of nowhere, in a heavy blizzard, the van had broken down. My stepdad managed to limp it three-fourths of the way there, but eventually it died. My mom used her one bar of cell reception to call CAA, basically the Canadian AAA. After that, there was nothing to do but sit and wait. In a place so rural, there's not a lot of traffic on the road, especially not in December, in a terrible snowstorm. So, with no help on the way, they dressed us in our full winter gear and held us in their laps, just trying to keep us warm. They explained to us since then that they were freaking out. It was very cold, getting dark, and we had hardly anything left to eat or drink. And on top of that, they had a six and three-year-old to keep alive. Yikes. So here it is. It was really starting to get black when my mom said something like, What if nobody comes? What if they can't find us? To my dad. And apparently, I pepped right up into her arms and said, Don't worry, Mommy. Michael is coming. They told me that they thought that I was referring to Michael the Archangel because we were raised Catholic. They thought that I was meaning that he was coming to save us and was just trying to be reassuring in that little kid way. They smiled at me and thanked me for being brave. Not two minutes later, the only vehicle to come down that road since we had been broken down, rounded the bend and cut through the dark with headlights leading to us. The tow truck CAA had been sent for us, pulling up beside us, and my parents left my brother and I in the van jumped out to meet them. The guy driving the tow truck was out in the snow. He reached to shake my dad's hand and said, Hi there, folks. I'm with CAA. I'm here to help. My name is Michael. I was six years old. Somehow, I have predicted the CAA call guy being Michael. And my parents, ever since then, have had no idea how it happened. Now, I know this might not be the worst and most terrifying story you've ever heard, but it is a bit spooky that a six-year-old somehow knew that Michael was coming. This story took place when I was 23 years old, close to 10 years ago. 
I was living in upstate New York in a very rural area with my ex-boyfriend and his family. He and I used to argue quite a bit. One morning before he went to work, he and I got in a very heated argument. He was 20 years my senior, but during this fight he acted majorly juvenile. He jumped out of bed, flipped me the bird, and yelled, If you don't like it so much, then why don't you go ahead and go back to the Bronx? That was all the prompting I needed. I threw on my Uggs and my winter jacket, grabbed my cigarettes, and flew out of the house. I am unfortunately an impulsive person and didn't think to grab my cell phone before I stormed out of there. I didn't drive, so my only option was to walk. I don't think at the time that I intended to walk back to the Bronx, as it was a three-hour car ride upstate, but I just needed to go for an angry, dramatic walk. I realized once I got to this road at the entrance of the trailer park that I had no idea where anything really was around here, as I had only lived there a few months at that point, and we really didn't go out a lot. I banked left, just walked and walked where eventually I knew civilization would be. I found myself walking alongside a very busy stretch of road, with 18-wheelers flying by, spraying me with slushy snow and soaking my shoes. I saw my then-boyfriend driving by on his way to work, and he sped up as he drove past me, evidently still angry about our fight. I thought for sure he was going to turn around at some point, but he never came back. I pressed on, deciding instead to try and walk to my best friend's mother's house, which I knew would be in the same town. It started to snow, and I was losing momentum. I passed by a VFW, where a nondescript pickup truck was parked in the driveway. It wasn't until I had passed it that I even realized that there was a driver in the front seat. He called out to me. Hey honey, do you need some help? My stomach churned, realizing I would have to accept this stranger's offer. I approached his truck slowly, and tried to weigh out my options. He was a clean-cut, seemingly normal older white guy. Gray hair. Greenest blue eyes, just average. I blurted out, Are you a good guy or a bad guy? And cringed at myself for asking such a dumb question. <laughs> I'm a good guy. I wouldn't tell you if I was bad. I ignored the bells going off in my head and got in the front seat with him. As we drove, I realized I had no clue where my friend's mom lived. I knew the name of the road she lived on, but it spanned a good distance. So it wasn't very helpful in terms of finding my destination. I asked to borrow his cell phone so I could try calling my best friend to ask her where I was going. I called her three times and she didn't answer because she didn't recognize the number. I started to feel inexplicably hopeless. After a few minutes, he asked me where I was from and why I was out in the middle of nowhere, in the snow, wearing pajamas. I explained I was originally from the Bronx and that I had gotten into a fight with my boyfriend. He paused. Hey, you wouldn't be interested in making a little money, would you? I chuckled nervously and said, Oh, no, thanks, though. He responded with, Well, I just figured since you were from the Bronx, and trailed off, realizing at that point I was almost definitely in deep trouble. I muttered, Oh, sure. He eyed me up and down and laughed at himself a bit before sharing, Sure, she says. I started to panic big time, but knew I couldn't show my fear. I scoured the scenery for a pillowy snowbank that I could land in if I leapt out of the truck, but to no avail, there were none. The houses were so few and far between, I became certain this would be how I met my demise. I'll never know why. But it was at this point that he decided to ask me who I was going to see. I quickly blurted out my best friend's mom's name and her husband's full name. He instantly perked up and explained that he knew the husband and how they used to snowmobile together 20 years ago. 
I felt the greatest wave of relief when he explained that he knew exactly where his old buddy lived. When we finally pulled up to that big yellow house, it was like arriving at the promised land. I reluctantly asked his name. Steve, he said. Then he asked mine. I gave him a fake name, spouted a fake thank you, and ran as fast as I could to the front porch. I crashed through their front door and locked it behind me. I immediately started crying and running through the house trying to find my friend's mom. I had awoken her from a sound sleep, but she didn't say a word about it upon seeing how shaken up I was. Once I knew I was safe with her, I explained everything. The fight, the fleeing, the weird guy, and his sexual proposition, and she listened, horrified and curious at the same time. She made me promise to never do anything so reckless again. She told me she would ask her husband when I got home about this Steve guy and find out more about him. I returned to my boyfriend's later that same day and got really stoned and tried to forget about the events of that morning. The following day, my friend's mom called me to tell me that Steve was a dangerous person who her husband had cut off communication with years ago. The last he had heard about Steve was that he had been arrested for sexual assault. She then went on to point out how incredibly easy it would have been for him to hurt me and leave me just about anywhere on some lonely stretch of road, and no one would have known where to look for me. Not to mention, I might not have even been found until the snow thawed out. Upon sharing this story again with my best friend, who I mentioned in this story, she reminded me that I left out a super unsettling detail. When her mom called, she was able to tell me Steve's last name. One of the first results on Google with his name, plus the town's name, brought me straight to the registered sex offender website with a mugshot of him. His eyes looked cold and empty, and I realized with him being on probation at the time, he would have been especially eager to not have me get him in any further trouble with the law. Her mom said it best when she told me that I must have had some serious guardian angels watching over me that day. When I was around seven or eight years old, I had a disturbing encounter with a creature or entity. I lived in the Appalachian Mountains Range of Pennsylvania. It was November, around when daylight saving time occurred. I remember it was supposed to be a school day, but since the snow was so heavy, the buses could not drive out in the morning, so the school had been canceled for a snow day. I was so excited to spend the rest of the day outside in the snow. We had an acre of property, going quite far back into the woods. I walked deep into the forest to a small frozen pond past my property line. Then, suddenly, the woods went dead silent. No birds, no wildlife scurrying around, absolutely nothing. I remember thinking it was strange but kept walking to make it to the pond. I should have turned around right then and there, but I was just a naive little kid. After I reached the pond, everything was still completely silent and the hairs on the back of my neck felt like they were rising. I started to get frightened, and I didn't know why. I just felt like something terrible would happen to me if I didn't leave at that very moment, so I decided to turn back and run back home. As I arrived at the backyard, I realized it was so late and the sun was setting. My mom came running outside asking me where I was literally all day and to never disappear like that again. None of this made any sense because I had only been gone for about 20 minutes. I left my house with my snow gear around 10am, right after getting the snow day call. It was now almost 8pm, meaning I had been gone for approximately 10 whole hours. I have no idea what happened, and how I had been gone for such a long period. I remember only being out there for such a short period. I'm unsure how to categorize this, 
I don't know if this was some sort of creature encounter that maybe made me lose time and forget what happened. I don't know if this was some sort of time warp or what. When I was 14 years old, I was spending a Saturday night relaxing, and all I was planning on doing was watching Netflix alone in my family's cozy vacation cabin. It was a small two-bedroom cabin, out in the country, which meant there were no houses for miles, but I liked the quiet. My parents were out on a date and were probably not going to be home until well after midnight or so because all the roads were backed up due to the snowstorm. It was getting late, and I was waiting on the pizza I had ordered like an hour ago and was starting to wonder what was taking so long. I just figured it was because of the icy roads. I sat on the couch and decided that I was going to be a man and watch a horror movie on Netflix all alone. I was tired of being too scared and hit play. When I was about five minutes into the movie, I jumped to the sudden sound of the doorbell. Realizing that it was the pizza guy, I sped to the front door. I opened the door, and I was startled by what I saw. It was a dirty, middle-aged man. So dirty he looked like a homeless guy living on the streets. He had long, greasy hair, and needed a good shave. The only thing that kept me from slamming that door was the fact that he was holding a box of pizza and was wearing a Domino's uniform which honestly looked as if he threw it on as fast as possible, but the buttons weren't actually aligned, and it looked like it was a few sizes too small. The name tag on the shirt said, Michael Smith. It looked like it was hanging by a thread. He was smiling at me, staring directly into my eyes, not blinking a single time. His eyes gave me an uneasy feeling. His smile was so big, almost unnatural. He said, Hi. I'm Ted. Did you order a large cheese pizza? I said, uh, hi, yes. And he was still giving me that same cold smile. I reached my hand into my pocket, looking for the cash I had. Feeling nothing, I said. I'll be right back. I left the money in the kitchen. Before I left to go into the kitchen, I pushed the door almost shut, leaving a very slight crack open. Walking into the kitchen, I grabbed my wallet and started shuffling through my bills trying to find the 20 I had in there. My concentration was disrupted by the sound of a breaking news alert on the small TV that we always had on the news channel in the kitchen. The bold letters on the bottom of the screen read, Domino's Pizza Delivery Man Named Michael Smith Found Stabbed to Death in Ditch Unclothed. I froze in shock. I remembered that the man standing on my front doorstep said his name was Ted, but had a name tag reading Michael Smith, and that he said that his name was Ted like I just mentioned. Chill shot down my spine as I put two and two together. I turned around, basically running to the door. I screamed when the door was wide open and the pizza box was laying on the floor, right next to the stairs. I reached for my phone that I always kept in my back pocket. I nearly cried when I felt nothing in my back pocket and remembered that I had left it charging on my nightstand in my room, upstairs. I started going through all of the options I had. I couldn't just run into the snowstorm and run to a mile to the nearest house. I couldn't hide until my parents got home, and that definitely would be a few more hours. The only option I had was to get the phone upstairs and call 911. I felt like my heart was going to stop. I grabbed the biggest knife I could find, not that I was going to be brave enough to use it anyways. My knees and hands were shaking so bad, I slowly walked up the stairs, trying not to make a sound. I got to the last step and saw my room. The door was wide open. I started mentally preparing myself for what might happen as soon as I walk into that room. I tiptoed to the side of the door, 
making sure that I wasn't visible to whoever could be inside. I peered my head into the room. Nothing. No creepy killer standing in the middle of the room with an axe. In fact, the room was just as I had left it. I could see my phone in my nightstand, which was across from the further side of the room, right next to the closet. I walked in there and reached across my bed. It was just a few inches away from me when I was grabbing it. I was just a few inches away from grabbing that phone and calling the police. I inched forward. I took a big deep breath, hearing the 911 operator's voice gave me a sense of safety. The woman on the other line said, 911, what is your emergency? Hi yes, my name is Matthew Thompson and there is a man somewhere in my house. I am in a cabin on 71 Shirley Avenue. I had said this very quickly. I had seen so many episodes of Law and Order, I had already known what information the operator needed. As the operator was telling me to stay on the line, something caught my eye. My closet. I always kept my closet closed because I had always had a paranoid feeling about it. I hated seeing the darkness in my closet, not being able to see what was in there. Of course, nothing had ever actually been in there, until now. The closet door was slightly open, open just enough to see two eyes staring at me. Those eyes were not the worst part. What keeps me up at night, to this very day, was the fact that he was smiling. So big. I screamed and the closet door swung open forcefully. Now I could see his whole body, his face still smiling at me. I have never ran so fast in my life. I booked it out the room, through the hallway, and the footsteps behind me were never farther than a few feet away. I managed to turn my head and see the man behind me chasing me, still smiling. I threw myself into the downstairs bathroom and locked it. He began to laugh, but this laugh wasn't like a deep, raspy voice, like I would imagine it to sound like. It was high-pitched. It was maniacal. It sounded so childish, which made the whole situation even more nerve-wracking. He was now throwing his body against the door. Every time I heard the man's body being thrown against the door, the man's childish laugh followed. I knew I didn't have much more time until that small chintzy door eventually broke down, but I also knew that it wasn't going to be much longer until the police arrive. I quickly looked around the bathroom, unfamiliar with it since I usually used the downstairs one. My body was already halfway out the second I saw the small bathroom window, which I had never noticed until now. Somehow, after a couple more seconds of squirming around, I was outside. The cold snow felt good by this time I had worked up a bit of a sweat. I had tried to get up and start running, but the storm was so strong, it was just hard to get a few steps away from the cabin. I could still hear the man banging against the door by his laugh. I could hear the wooden door start to crack, just a couple more tries and he was in. He immediately noticed that the window was open and knew I was outside. I could hear his footsteps getting further away. He was running to the front door to get where I was helplessly sitting. I kept looking back and forth to see the sides of the house, not knowing which side he was going to come from. I then saw him peering his head over the side of the house, only making his smile visible. I screamed in fear as this man was still wearing that Domino's uniform, tiptoeing to me. He was tiptoeing like you would see in a cartoon, making his steps dramatic. This frightened me as I began to realize how insane this man really was. He was about five feet away from me when I heard the beautiful sound of the police sirens. There could not have been a better time for the police to show up because as soon as that man heard the sirens, he gave one last look at me, smiled and waved as he ran off into the woods over the loud sound of the wind. I could hear that the man was laughing. When the cops eventually pulled into my driveway, I ran towards them crying out of disbelief of what had just happened. 
I tried to tell them the story, but the only thing that I was able to get out barely made sense. After they calmed me down, they were able to get the full story out of me. I stayed with two officers and made sure they checked the cabin inch by inch while two other officers searched the woods. By this time, it was basically pitch black outside and my parents had finally arrived. After a long, thorough search, there was no sign of the man. I got absolutely no sleep for quite a while after that, still imagining that big, creepy smile. After this whole situation, I wish I could end this by saying I still hear that occasional knock at the door or something cliche, but it has been quiet with no signs of that man. I hope to never see that grinning face for as long as I live, whether that man's intentions were to kill me or much, much worse. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true snowstorm horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to smack that like button as it helps me out a ton. If you're new to the swamp, why not subscribe and turn on notifications to never miss a new episode as I upload them damn near every single day and all things natural and supernatural. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, whether it be a snowstorm story, a story from in the woods, or something different, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or on reddit at r slash thedarkswamp. I'd love to see your story and share it with everyone here in the swamp. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcast or Spotify, please give us a 5 star rating on those platforms as it helps us grow a ton on there. If you're on the go but don't have YouTube Premium but still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories, you can download them absolutely free from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. If you made it all the way to the end, I'd love to see what story was your favorite in the comments, and don't forget to include that secret code word in your comment, Windbreaking Moose to confuse anybody, and just to see what funny things you guys can come up with. I always love reading them, and they always bring a good laugh.